the visualization has become more of like the article. People are telling stories with just the visualization itself. Welcome to a new episode of Data Stories. My name is Moritz Stefan and I'm an independent designer of data visualizations. And I am Enrico Bertini. I am a professor at NYU in New York City, where I do research in data visualization. Right. And on this podcast, we talk about data visualization together, about data analysis, statistics, and generally the role data plays in our lives. And usually we do that with a guest we invite on the show. But before starting, just a quick note. So our podcast is listener supported, so there's no ads anymore. And if you enjoy the show, please consider supporting us with recurring payments on Patreon patreon.com slash data stories or if you don't like this recurring payment um, model you can also send us now one-time donations on paypal you just go to paypal.me slash data stories yeah and we got a few of these one-time donations over the summer yes. like ten dollars fifteen dollars and <laughs> that's it's always yeah it's great joy for us <laughs> you so know much. whenever that email arrives i'm <laughs> super happy <laughs> so keep those coming in um yeah. Yeah, so we took a little break over summer. Enrico, how was your summer? All good? It was too good, too good. <laughs> <laughs> too short and too good. Yeah, I yeah. need more. But yeah, I can, no, great, I can uh, relate. Fantastic. I can relate. Yeah, I took much of July off and. I will take some time off in October again. So now I squeezed everything into August and September. And I'm super stressed <laughs> out. So. Bad choice. But I did have a good July, uh, admittedly. Oh, that's so. something. That's something yeah. already. Yeah. And now conference season is coming up. So in fall, right. we have the big Berlin weeks of data visualization oh in October. Yeah. <laughs> right? I'm so, so excited. Yeah. Yeah. So there's information plus. Um, October, I think, 20 to 21. Yeah. It's the weekend before IEEE Viz, the big academic conference, which is right in the week after. And yeah. we will both be there, Enrico, right? Yeah. Yes. So. <laughs> every four years, at least. Right? <laughs> we meet in last person. time we did it. I think Viz in Europe is every four years. Ah, okay. So last yeah. time we did it in Paris. In Paris, yeah. <laughs> I was there four, too, I don't remember so. if it's three or four years, but yeah. Could be, yeah. That's the... The rule. Anyways, we said we, we use the opportunity and do a listener meetup. So mark your calendars with a big red pen. October yes. twenty two evening. Yeah, <laughs> come yeah. to Berlin and yes. hang out with us. <laughs> yeah, even if you're not attending any of these conferences no. and you're around and ah, you want to meet go, us, you can let just us know. No, sure. Yeah. We, we just hang out, have a beer, and have a chat. Yeah. Details to follow. So this will be fun. Anyways, let's uh, let's bring our guest on. So today we have a super special guest. We always say we have a special <laughs> guest, but this one is actually really <laughs> super special because um, it's Nathan Yao from Flowing Data. Hi, Nathan. Hi, Nathan. Hey, how's it going? Thanks for joining us. And it's so special because we literally had you on our list since the beginning of the podcast. <laughs> Now we finally have gone, so this is super amazing. Yeah, I've been I've been listening since you started, so it's weird See, to yeah. be on the show. <laughs> so this has been a long time coming, but it's very good. So Nathan, can you tell us a bit about yourself? What's your background? What are you doing? Anything our listeners might be interested in? Sure. So my official title is statistician. Um, I run flowingdata.com. Uh, mm -hmm. I've been doing it for a little over a decade. 
Right. Uh, I went to grad school in statistics, um, background statistics, and I specialize mm-hmm. in visualization. Right, right. Yeah, and flowing data, I, I assume most people know the blog, <laughs> but if you don't know it, stop listening, go to flowingdata.com. <laughs> you lost 10 years of, of news. Yeah, right, <laughs> just spend a week there. I mean, it's, as Nathan said, it's, it's been around for 10 years and he's been continuously posting. And I would say it's the most comprehensive overall resource you can find about data visualization today, right? I mean, just in, in amount of what you have covered. I mean, that's that's my opinion, at least. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. So do you have any stats? Like, do you have any stats on the <laughs> blog? Like how many posts and, and, you know, any 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 KPIs you can share with us? For having a data blog, I actually know very few numbers about my blog. But <laughs> um, I, so 10 years and I do it, I've had at least one post per day or every weekday for right. those 10 years. Wow. Look at that. And then, yeah. so you can do the math on that. Thousands. Thousands. Yeah. 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 Wow. Yeah. And this uh, tenacity is, is very admirable. And I think we'll come back to that, how you, how you keep that rhythm. I, I'm really, really interested. Um, so j- just so this is the main thing you do also, right? It's, it's running the blog and anything around it. Or do you also have another job? Uh, flowing data is my main job. I have a, an appointment with the Census Bureau, but mm-hmm. I put in very little time with that. So the flowing mm-hmm. data is my, my full time job. Cool. And that's, I think that's really interesting that, that you were able to turn that, I mean, of course, hobby in the beginning as any blog into, into somewhat, uh, sustainable, like main occupation, uh, which is really cool. <laughs> mm-hmm. So how, how does a normal weekday or a week look for you? Is it like, do you do pretty much the same thing every day or how do you structure your work? Uh, it's pretty scattered because I have kids and then my, my wife has an irregular schedule. So we mm-hmm. don't, we both have irregular schedules as a result. Um, so my schedule revolves around when my wife has a day off. Um, and so usually I'll have at least two days of full-time work where my kids are in school. That's guaranteed. And then um, mm-hmm. there's overlapping days where I can work and my wife is working. Um, so usually at the, I try at the beginning of the week to have things prepared for the week as far as public facing posts. So I have a, mm-hmm. there's a public side and then there's a membership side. Um, and so usually I have, I have a lot of bookmarks and I try to try to write things and schedule things. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on the full days, I'll, I'll work on tutorials or projects and, um, things that are interesting me at whatever time. Right. So yeah, maybe we should also explain. So it's, you have the blog, which is, yeah, has posts about interesting developments in data visualization, interesting projects. Then you have your own projects. So sometimes you do data visualization projects, right? So you have this data underload series, which I always enjoy. Mm-hmm. Um, then you have a member section of the site, right? So, um, mm-hmm. where people can join the flowing data club, basically. Mm-hmm. And then you have access to, I think, tutorials and a special newsletter, um, things like this, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of, it's evolved over the years um, because mm-hmm. it started as, it was just a notebook where I could write things. Um, so I was in grad school my and I had just finished my second year at mm-hmm. UCLA. Um, and then I had to move to Buffalo. So on the other side of the country. And so I didn't have classmates to talk to anymore. Um, other than phone calls. So I started flowing data and I just started cataloging things that I liked and mm-hmm. trying to document some kind of thoughts or critical thinking in there. Uh, and then it just kind of went from there. 
and somehow it grew. And then eventually the, the membership side started maybe six years ago. Mm-hmm. And that's, that part is about helping people learn how to visualize data and how to maybe make some of the projects that I make or try to break it down into more basic steps where people can use that to apply it to their own data. You also have been publishing a, a few books during this time, right? <laughs> Uh, yeah, that was a really long time ago, and for me at least, <laughs> I think I wrote two books. That was they were both during grad school. So one was in my second year of grad school, 2010, I think, and the most recent one was I was writing it in 2012, got published in 2013. Ah, okay. Mm-hmm. But those were both kind of fed off flowing data. And the first one is more tutorial-ish. It has R code and a little bit of JavaScript, a little bit of Flash. So that's what the time was. <laughs> that dates it clearly. <laughs> so I, I think what, what is really interesting about your work is that I think at the beginning when visualization started getting popular, uh, there, there, there were a, a few blogs around, right? And now after... 10 plus years, there's basically <laughs> almost nothing out there. I think the only person who's been going on for a long time as well has been Robert Cosaro with Eager Eyes. Mm-hmm. So what's the, um, yeah, so how, how did you do that, right? I think many people <laughs> failed, right? <laughs> what's, the, what's the formula? Last man standing, yeah. <laughs> yeah, last man standing. The formula is to, to have fun, but... Yeah, so that's a little bit sad to me because when I first got into visualization, um, I I Googled visualization the first time I heard of it. And then that brought me to information aesthetics with Andrew Vandemore. Yeah. And that mm-hmm. it's still there, but oh, it has, so infosthetics was actually was born earlier than flowing data. I didn't remember. Yeah, I think that. maybe by a couple of years. In my memory, they were not okay. Yeah. Oh, and I think I found Moritz. Um, I think I found well formed <laughs> data. I had a blog time. too. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. you were there before already, right? What with well formed data. Yeah. But I think we started off pretty much the same time in my recollection. But maybe, <laughs> yeah. Maybe a few weeks or months before you or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And then I, and I saw Robert. And so Infosthetics was kind of um, more on the art side. And Eager Eyes with Robert was more on the technical visualization side. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was coming from statistics. I was more interested in the data. I guess I've always been more interested in the data than the, the forms of the data and visualization is just happens to be the best medium to kind of communicate data to a large number of people. Mm-hmm. So I guess because I like the data part so much, I don't get too bored because the topics for data change and then, um, I can, look at the methods and, but I can also look at the topics. Um, and I focus probably a little bit less, maybe less than I should than on, um, visualization research Mm -hmm. and kind of like perception studies and things like that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I think a large proportion of the things that you post on flowing data is basically, um, yeah, things that you find around on the web, right? So you're basically making people aware on, on, of what is happening in this, in this, this world. So I'm just curious to hear from you 
How do you do that? How do you keep track of what is going on? If you feel comfortable revealing the, the sure, sure, no, the it's, feel yeah, free it's to say really. I can, I can say that, <laughs> <laughs> right? Because yeah. if if you want to know what is going on, you just go on flowing data, right? You you'll find it there. Yeah, but so you have some do that. kind of radar <laughs> radar out there. If something is happening, you're gonna capture it. So. Yeah. Yeah, you must have some system to to make this possible. Um, I guess it's not really a secret. I just I subscribe to a lot of blogs through mm-hmm. through RSS, and then I look at Twitter. I uh, I'm Twitter. I have like a love hate thing with it's. It helps me find things, but when I go on, I end up feeling mad about something. But yeah, <laughs> there's usually <laughs> things that start on Twitter or through other people's blogs, and then I can kind of either go deeper or I can Google things. Um, and a lot of my own projects are just from my everyday experiences. And I, I'll have a question and then I'll just try to answer it with data. Um, mm. So that's why a lot of my projects are kind of, they're pretty benign. They're about just regular stuff like waiting for a table, things like that. <laughs> but I think a lot of it, it just happens to be like, I'm trying to learn how to visualize data myself. And then mm. everything that kind of mm. feeds into that, that helps me, I post because it will probably help someone else. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, I think that's also part of the tone of your blog is that it it always sounds a bit like you thinking out loud, right? It's like, oh, let's see what we can do here, or like let's let's see how that yeah. was made, or or also if you read an article, you have some yeah, here's some some thoughts around them, but it's always like very um, yeah straightforward writing. I, I really uh, appreciate that. So um, and I think you 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 found a certain both in your visuals but also in your text a certain style. Obviously, by now, after ten years, <laughs> one would expect uh-huh. that seems to work. Yeah, yeah. My, my main my main writing style is <laughs> I I pretend I'm talking to my friend from high school. <laughs> right, yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. perfect. Yeah, yeah. So he doesn't know data, and then I just I just write yeah. But that, that might be part of why why it's so approachable, right? It's like it doesn't talk down on you or anything, or uh, but it's just straightforward conversation about what's what's going on, right? Yeah, I think um, so through the 10 years, there's always blogs have come up and then have faded away. And a lot of them were saying they would open like their very first post would be about how there needs to be a more serious part of visualization and how (laughs) it's not about (laughs) just having fun. You have to be more critical, ask questions and and which is you definitely need to have, but you can't have it all the time. From a research perspective, you can, but. You can't mm. just write about that every single day because I think at some point you kind of realize that you're you're repeating yourself a lot because mm. you're going after the same insights or same um, aesthetics or same baseline. You're trying to get people to reach a baseline of understanding, and there's only so many ways that you can kind of talk about it or explain the data, especially if mm. it's just you. Yeah, and I think our scene is maybe also prone a bit to... Yeah, it depends. So some people say it's prone to not really think about what we do, but just celebrate anything that's sort of colorful. But I mean, from my perspective, it's also prone to being overly critical of them, like of ourselves and like overthinking things often, you know, it's like, (laughs) you know, it's like, and I know quite a lot of people who who have good projects in their drawer and I've seen them and I know they don't push them out because somehow they feel it's like, ah, Maybe it's not yeah. good enough yet, you know, it's not, it looks like this other project I've seen. I, I didn't find a way to make it really unique, you know, it's like, 
ah, sometimes just it's better to just push, push things out, out and yeah. move on, right? And <laughs> yeah, so yeah. maybe this overly like meta, mega sophisticated debate scares people off as well, right? Yeah, it seems like people, especially beginners, they're worried that they're doing it wrong. Right. And a lot of the time it's, maybe the form doesn't even matter so much. It's that they're, they have a really interesting data set and they have, um, like they found something really interesting, but they don't want to publish the chart or publish a graph because mm. maybe it, someone might tell them that it's the wrong type of graph or wrong color scheme or something like that. And yeah. you kind of just, but that's what, you know, that's the way you learn is you, you publish things and then you get that feedback and then you kind of go from there. You decide which one you want to, which one you want to take seriously and what you kind of want to ignore, <laughs> right, you know, right. put in the back of your head instead of, you know, leading forward with every single project. Yeah, yeah. And, and I must say your tutorials often show how, okay, here's, here's something interesting in the data and here's a little trick how to make it more neat or like how to find a nice way to, to display it. So, and I think that's exactly the spirit and that's so often it's already like totally enough. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, now that we, okay, we are in the meta discussion, <laughs> so why, why, why not stay there? I mean, you followed the field for so long, like, what's your perception of, what's the big arc? Like, is there a big arc? Like, thinking back 10 years, five years, um, do you feel like, are we making progress? How Have things changed? How have they changed? <laughs> Where do you see things headed? Um, what's your take on, on the development? I, so I think it's... <laughs> It's a couple, there's a lot of things, but there's, with visualization specifically, I remember starting at the beginning and it was kind of people putting, it was a, what was it? It was like a substitute for, it was the online version of PowerPoint. So people were posting mm -hmm. slides and um, kind of very basic things and they had words um, and the slides were a supplement to the words. Mm -hmm. um, and then it's kind of moved toward, oh yeah, it got went into really big infographics at some point for a few years. <laughs> yeah, the, the Where, long, so the words found call. themselves yeah. onto the graphic because everything was <laughs> encapsulated in the graphic. Right. Um, and so now now it, the, the visualization has become more of like the article or the people are telling stories with just the visualization itself. And then the words mm -hmm. are also there to complement. So they kind of are more intertwined. And so mm -hmm. I think that has to do with people getting used to the visual form, but they're also used to thinking about data a little bit more beyond kind of those PowerPoint spreadsheets. Um, I think with data literacy, there's still a lot, a long way to go, but people are kind of understanding it a little bit better, maybe uh, or grasping uncertainty a little bit better, especially since 2016, where there was a whole bunch of uncertainty going on during one night. And so people started kind of paying attention to those things and being more wary of estimates and forecasts. Um, mm -hmm. And so when people become more data literate, um, understanding the concepts, then the, like the understanding of the visualization can, can feed off of that. But if you don't understand the data, then you can, you know, us as visualization people can do as much as we want, but it, like if people don't understand the data, then there's no point in doing the visualization. Yeah. Yeah. But you feel like this has improved, like that people have a better grasp on what data does and what it can do or what it does in a concrete case? Yeah, I think it's becoming part of more, more part of their lives. Um, like my, so my dissertation was on, on personal data collection and using visualization to, 
to communicate that in an everyday sense. And so people would mm. collect data about themselves. Um, you know, like right. how many times they went to the bathroom, um, how many times they coughed, their weight, things like that. And so people are collecting data about themselves through apps, GPS, food, um, a lot of health related things. Um, but they also understand that there's an overall trend with your weight and your exercise, but there's also kind of like these blips and a lot of noise that change things, but they don't change kind of the overall patterns. And so it seems like that can feed into um, more general things, more general types of data that aren't necessarily related to them. But so one thing is that a lot of visualization now is kind of coming back to the individual. So you have like these really big data sets and it seems like the hook of those to get people into it is by pointing to their geographic region or people talking about their demographics and things like that. And then you kind of go off that. Mm -hmm. So make it personal. Like even if you have a huge data set, try and find the, the personal link. Yeah. Cause there was a research paper by Jeffrey here, maybe a decade ago. He did a, he did like a network visualization of a Friendster. And mm -hmm. even, even then like people, he found that people would, spend more time with the visualization if they found themselves and their friends first. But if it was like, if they weren't in the network, there wasn't much to see, then they wouldn't go any further. But so you want to encourage mm -hmm. people to poke around. So you try to try to show them, show people how they relate to the data or how, you know, where they rest it within the larger data set or scheme of things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Personal data is one of those things that happened over the last few years. So I think it's, it's really interesting, right? I think I vaguely remember you had a few posts of yourself visualizing personal data, right? That's another of those things that you've been posting about. It's been a lot of <laughs> True, a lot of yeah. fun and interesting. And uh, yeah, and I really like what you say because I, I think that the data literacy of people in general is is a such an important element for our society. And uh, I'm not aware of any study that actually shows that people have being exposed to more more data or more information based on data, whether this has actually led to an increase in, in data literacy. Probably it has, I don't know. But um, yeah, I think that's a really, really relevant uh, aspect of uh, anything related. What, what happened during the last 10 years regarding data is much more democratized and And, and visualization itself, because it exposes data in a, in a way that is, as you just said, engaging and interesting. Mm -hmm. Which reminds me, Georgia and Stephanie yeah, right. yeah. Uh, have a book coming out also in fall, yeah. uh, Observe, Collect, uh, Draw or something, you know, and uh, so uh -huh. they, I think, wrapped all these personal data collection thoughts <laughs> into that Dear Data project. It became sort of the mm -hmm. the the figure project sort of for the, for this whole movement in a way. Yeah. The, the book yeah. is on my desk right now. It's, um, they, I th they framed visualization or personal data in a more, almost like a poetic sense or, uh, right. yeah. they frame data in a more, um, feeling an emotional point mm -hmm. of view. And that is mm -hmm. people miss that in the data a lot. And so it's nice Yeah, to um, to have something with the kind of the personal aspect to it. Yeah, maybe we should clarify we're talking about dear data, and um, yeah, Georgia Lupi and uh, Stephanie Posavec. In the yeah unlikely case that you've never heard of it, <laughs> you can just Google dear data and you'll you'll find it. <laughs> Or listen to the episode. Or listen to it our must episode be from the 50s, 60s, something. <laughs> yeah. So we will link it in the show notes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, but that's interesting because the the quantified self was more this idea like your life as a lab experiment, <laughs> yeah. or, you know, measure yourself yeah. and mm -hmm. like treat yourself almost like a like a scientist. Mm -hmm. But the dear data approach is, as you say, much more like personal, poetic, fuzzy, and and yeah, we had that the whole quantified self thing. That was that was a large part of my PhD work. Um, Right. And yeah. there were a lot of promises that you would find automatic insights if you just mm. log your data or let the data feed in. And then I think that didn't totally pan out or is still being worked on. And then you had kind right. of like Nicholas Felton who was collecting data about himself manually and then automatically. Um, and his reports were, people really liked them, but I felt like it was, um, they were more amazed by the amount of data that he collected. Like you would look at his yeah. charts and you you would get something out of the topics, but you they were reported in a business fashion. So it was sort of getting a different type of insight about who he is. But then when you look at Dear Data, which is more abstract, then you're kind of looking at things that are more emotional. It's just, it's it seems like they're sitting down with you and telling a story about themselves somehow. Yeah. Whereas yeah. versus presenting a PowerPoint slide about yourself, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, and I also I must say that also the the quantified self. You're right. There was this promise that just collecting the data in itself will lead to interesting <laughs> yeah. breakthroughs. Yeah. But I think you also hit that wall that either you, it's just confirming something fairly yeah, obvious exactly, about your life yeah. that you knew already, yeah. or you see some pattern in the data but you can't explain it. And I think I mean that's educational as well. But yeah, sometimes it's a dead end. <laughs> it's like yeah. So so what? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I'm tracking on my bees, so I don't know if everybody knows, but I'm, I'm, I'm keeping bees for a few years or so. Yeah. And now this year I have this bee tracking app that like logs temperature and moisture and stuff like this. Mm. And I'm curious again, like, will it deliver something interesting or will it be just another toy in my toolbox? <laughs> in my toy, toy box. Yeah. We'll, we'll see. Um, yeah, we'll see. But I think what is interesting of quantified self type of things is that even if When you look back, it may be obvious, but the the act of tracking actually makes you much more self-aware of some of the things that happen, yeah. right? So mm -hmm. right. it is actually useful anyway. You can justify anything. <laughs> There's a lot of studies of where people have lost weight or improved their studies just by keeping track of things and not actually looking at them. But the act of journaling, yeah. I guess. Yeah. But If they're not even, if you're not even looking at it, then you can also like, that's where dear data kind of comes in where it's more like you're writing a diary than a, a journal. Uh, we have a few listeners questions. We are back to having that on the show. Yeah. I'm really happy about that. So let's start with the first one. This is from Tim Becker and, uh, Tim wrote, I would also be interested to hear selfishly if he had has any perspective on how the medical field could be could best learn from data visualization. Having been in the field for over 10 years, we have not moved from bar charts and KM curves. I don't know what KM is. Maybe a histogram here and there, but that's it. I think... It's a big topic yeah, in many big, fields. Yeah, like how, exactly. That's what I was about how to say. How can we push not, innovation, yeah. right? It's like, how can we... And should yeah, we? Break up, break <laughs> up this, yeah. the routine. Uh, so my wife is a emergency room physician mm -hmm. and so I have kind of a sense, but I think it comes down to uh, more about the data understanding side of things. And so when they understand data, they can look at more charts or look at more advanced charts. Um, 
I was talking to my wife's coworker, who he's an ER physician, and they're trying to improve the flow of patients from the waiting room through to triage and then getting people out, trying to decrease the amount of time that people are waiting. And so you have to, you have these schemes of how people get from one room to another and when the doctor should come in, when the nurse should come in. Um, so they have all this data that they've collected about that because everything is digital. So they have all these visiting times and um, mm-hmm. a- entrance and exit times, but they didn't really know what to do with it because they're, the analysis sort of pretty rudimentary is just kind of, they're probably going more off anecdotes than the actual analysis um, because they don't know what to do with the analysis. So if you, if they knew more about analysis, more about how to do something with that data, then they could do something more with the visualization part as making things flow in and out. Yeah, but it's so funny because like redesigning these patient cards is like one of the standard like database exercises, right? It's it's like it's like for product designers redesigning the chair. It's like has been done so many times. Yeah. I think even Tufty did one, right? It's like <laughs> so yeah, but why why don't these things catch on? I think I do think it's interesting. Yeah. It seems like maybe in the, the like the higher ups, the managers don't want to look at data too much. They want to go off mm, kind yeah. of the, the stories of yes. patients because it's a little different with health because you have all these individual patients and they have the cases are extreme and everyone is sort right. of unique and all this. So it's like a collection of edge cases and you're mm-hmm. trying to find a pattern within yeah. all the edges. And so it's right. um, something yeah. weird like that. But you don't want to make it all just about the numbers because that would be a mistake. Yeah. And I can see that. Yeah. 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 So maybe we do need to show them their data and <laughs> more qualitative ways of plotting data. Yeah. Yeah. We can see. We can see. Um, there was another question. Adam Evans wrote on Twitter um, What to think about when designing interactivity into database? How to allow for discovery and exploration without overwhelming readers with options? That's a classic That's question, a classic. too. <laughs> One of the eternal, eternal uh, conundrums. of war. Yeah. 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 It seems like a better question for Moritz. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but I haven't figured it out myself yet, so I was hoping for, for your input. <laughs> yeah. I, think, yeah. I think you have it better figured out than most of us. <laughs> for, like, for me, because I'm going from the analysis side, so I'm always... Yeah, I'm always starting with um, static graphics in R. And then the interaction that I build in is usually how I explore the data during my with during the static charts. So a lot of my interaction is getting subsets of populations and um, narrowing down to certain subpopulations. So I think when I when I add interaction, I just I'm thinking back to my analysis and how I got to a certain point. And then I try to let users use that interaction in the way in the way that I interacted with the data but in, in JavaScript mm-hmm. or in the browser yeah 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 and I think in your approach it shows you come from stati- uh, you are a statistician so you come from statistics so you think a lot about how can we break things down right it's like what can we compare to what and like what's what's the big picture and what what are these subgroups as you say right mm-hmm. so and i think that that is actually a good good idea to think about um when you think about interactivity what will people want to compare with each other i think if you if you get that down then you're quite close probably yeah <laughs> so, yeah cuz i think a big thing is that people have a data set or they have a lot of data and they get int- intimidated by how much data there is and they want to show it all at once mm-hmm. 
Um, but statisticians, when we're analyzing data, we we just produce a whole bunch of graphics at once or just like one after the other, one after the other and kind of throw them out. Um, so when you get to the presentation side, you kind of filter out what you made or filter through what you made and then present what the interesting parts. And if mm-hmm. it, if interaction makes it easier to go through those interesting parts, then kind of implement those. And if not, don't. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly, right? I, I think, yeah. yeah, I think my take on it is that in general, there is much less a need for interaction when the, the, the main goal is to communicate something to the reader, right? Mm-hmm. But as you said, when, when, you are, when you're using visualization as an analysis tool, then you may need to interact a lot more with, uh, with the data and the visualization. And by the way, so uh, tell me what you think about it. But I was thinking some time ago that when you are actually creating graphics in R and exploring, say, a new data set, that's also interaction, right? When, when you just change one parameter in a ggplot statement, right, and you see a mm-hmm. new graphics, that's that's interaction, right? It's less direct, but it's it's interaction. Mm-hmm. I guess the, the overarching theme of flowing data is trying to, to help people understand data in some way or another. And so... Uh, <laughs> you're trying to like get people to indirectly analyze data or think about it. So I, a lot mm-hmm. of like when I write something, sometimes my goal is to get people thinking to themselves about what other things they could ask about a certain data set or why a different form or different visualization could apply to a different finding or a different aspect of the data set. Mm-hmm. Because I guess a lot of things you see a lot of projects and then you kind of just stop there and you just go, that's interesting. And, um, that looks neat, but the natural next step is always to see how does that apply to my own data set or how does that, are there any, is there anything else that's interesting about that data set? And so I always try to point to the data set itself and then, um, hope that people feel welcome to just kind of poke at it from there. Yeah, no, uh, that's a great tip and a great, great perspective. We have to wrap up soon. One very last question, because I know many of our listeners are just getting started. I know many of your readers are, you know, just getting into the field. Yeah. Is there anything like a practical tip yeah. or, or any any other tips you can give to people just getting started? Are there any tools you're currently excited about that seem to make it easy or any any ways to get into the field in a good way? Um, I guess there's a lot of things I get. Yeah. So a lot of people ask what they recommend to get started with visualization. And the main thing is usually to ask back what they want to do with visualization because Mm -hmm. you can do so much Mm -hmm. with it. Are you in, are you in business? Are you in statistics and science or are you doing presentation or journalism? So you have to start with that question, what you want to do with it and Mm -hmm. find examples of what you're trying to do or what you think is good. Um, and you can kind of work from cool. there. So you yeah, try to. No, I think that's a good tip. Try so to figure copy out the why before, before you do the how, <laughs> maybe. <Yeah. laughs> and the what? Yeah, I think most most people approach this problem with like, which tool should I use? And I'm yeah. not sure it's the. I want to make a Sankey diagram. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love Sankeys. No, I mean having good no, tools is important, but um, I'm not sure it's the best best way to approach the problem. Cool. That's great advice. So think about the why. Yeah. It doesn't, doesn't hurt. And uh, yeah, thanks so much, Nathan, for joining us. Thanks for having me. Uh, this was great. Yeah. Great talking to you. And thanks for like yeah. documenting the whole field <laughs> yeah. like, for all these years. Please keep going. If you get tired, yeah. 
Still keep going. Keep going. <laughs> Don't stop. Don't yeah. stop. We Don't need stop. you. I'm, I'm going until the internet dies or until I die. Very good. Whichever That's comes what first. I wanted to hear. <laughs> That's the spirit. By the way, we said like nobody blocks, but Lisa Rost has been oh, killing it yeah, this year absolutely. at the Data Rapper. Absolutely. Yeah. At the Data Rapper blog. And this gives me hope. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And so, yeah. <laughs> so uh, blogging is coming back. That's my theory. Um <laughs> Mark my words, we'll, we'll check again next year. Yeah. <laughs> In the meantime, thanks so much for joining us, Nathan. Yeah, thanks again. Bye-bye. Thanks, Nathan. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey, folks, thanks for listening to Data Stories again. Before you leave, a few last notes. This show is now completely crowdfunded. So you can support us by going on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash data stories. And if you can spend a couple of minutes rating us on iTunes, that would be extremely helpful for the show. And here's also some information on the many ways you can get news directly from us. We're, of course, on Twitter at twitter.com slash data stories. We have a Facebook page at facebook.com slash data stories podcast, all in one word. And we also have a Slack channel. Uh, where you can chat with us directly. And to sign up, you can go to our homepage, datastory.es, and there is a button at the bottom of the page. And we also have an email newsletter. So if you want to get news directly into your inbox and be notified whenever we publish an episode, you can go to our homepage, datastory.es, and look for the link you find at the bottom in the footer. So one last thing we want to tell you is that we love to get in touch with our listeners, especially if you want to suggest a way to improve the show or amazing people you want us to invite or even projects you want us to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. And don't hesitate to get in touch with us. It's always a great thing for to hear from you. So see you next time. And thanks for listening to Data Stories. Mm-hmm.